Blog Talk Radio. Are you tired of being sheep? Well, so is he. Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I'm your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live as, I would say about 85% of the time, every Tuesday and Thursday night from 9 until 11, bringing you a couple hours of reality. With a slanted perspective, and I'm just going to be honest, of a non-statist, um, libertarian, slash, anarcho-capitalist, slash, minimalist. I guess. Now that kind of sums it up in a little nutshell. But uh, tons of stuff to get to today. Obviously, the Bradley Manning stuff came out today. So, um, excuse me, it is July 30th, 2013, and this is podcast number, God, is it number 19 already? Oh, it's about to be time for the roundtable. Speaking of that, I'm going to have a couple of guys popping in possibly later on in the broadcast to give us their take on the Bradley Manning situation and everything else. So... In case you've been living under a rock, Bradley Manning um, leaked a whole bunch of documents to WikiLeaks, um, basically describing how our government was committing war crimes. Big shocker. woo So he submits all these documents to WikiLeaks. It all goes public. Henry Kissinger, the whole, you know, the illegal we do right away, the unconstitutional has to wait, and then you have to hear the political infighting of the idiots that believe that somehow this guy is a traitor to the country. And even the military court can't convict this guy of being a traitor. So they just, of course, re- I guess they, um, let's see, they found him not guilty of the super crime. Where he would have gotten life in prison with no parole, but um, found guilty of 20 subsequent charges, um, holding a maximum sentence of 135 years. But this man, and he is a man. Everybody starts calling him, you know, a private. He's just a private, and he had, you know, intelligence stuff. And listen, this guy's a man. If you stand up to the corporate combine. To the global corporate combine known as um, the United States of America, you know, here here to give you freedom with with bombs, whether you want them want them want it or not. If you want freedom, we'll bring you freedom. If you want to be um, liberated, like we did in Libya, we'll just consider it a no fly zone and bomb the snikes out of you for a couple of couple of weeks. Send in the Al Qaeda troops; they'll raise the flag and ha land conquered. Thank you so much for playing. The game of global domination dominated by the elite bankers of the world and the insiders. And what's starting to get scary is that you're really starting to see people do two things. And I say this a lot, but for those of you that have a pulse and understand where we're headed with this whole clash of civilizations slash whatever you want to call it. What it is basically is that you guys have been committing crimes for a really, really long time, and you got away with it with your corporate-controlled media. But now even the DOD 
is releasing is telling their 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 people the press the press corps of the military that we need to quit getting scooped by the drudge report and this is what's going on is that now the the spirit of america that was buried and if you start listening to my podcast from like a year ago almost 2 years ago good gosh when i first started doing this we talk about how asleep everybody is and how you know everybody just kind of muddling through everything cuz the economy was all right and you know barack obama was he's all right i guess you know didn't do anything too crazy but now with all the lavish trips and the going bankrupt and then what he said today about lowering the corporate sales tax but keeping the private sector tax on small businesses real high, the the plan is apparent. The plan is apparent to bankrupt the United States and move to a global economy. And whether they're doing it on their own or they're doing it on purpose, that's to be debated. But what can't be debated are the policies and procedures that are being put in place to absolutely gut this country. And it's not a right-wing, left-wing. If you play that game, just go ahead and switch my switch my show off. I don't want to talk to you. I guess I do want to talk to you because I want to understand why you believe in the right-left paradigm. Why you believe the controlled state-run media. Why you believe all these things. Is it your fear of... Admitting to yourself that you've been lied to, admitting to yourself that you were conned, admitting to yourself that all of these things that you learn, these little tidbits and and little quips and all of these things that you thought made up your psyche and your own personal belief system, is that flawed? That's a lot to take in. It was a lot for me to take in. You know, when I first started listening to people like... like um like Alex Jones and, and Adam versus the man and and people that were speaking out against government and then I would go watch Fox News and Sean Hannity and all those guys parade around and play politics. That's what they're there to do. They're there to control the narrative and make sure that everybody stays within the box and make sure you ask the stupid questions is what I call them, the very stupid questions. Is Bradley Manning a traitor? Is he not a traitor? Not – Oh my God, we're committing war crimes, and we've got video of people in helicopters opening fire on innocent civilians, and then ABC News runs a piece today and says, these uh, helicopter pilots mistakenly opened fire on innocent civilians. Mistakenly? No, dude, they were laughing in the video. There's video of this all over the web. I mean, give me a break. How stupid do you think that we are? Evidently not so stupid. Because now the DOD is starting to respond saying, hey, the American people need to hear this stuff from us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I've got clips from that coming up because there were people that actually questioned and said, I feel like I'm a propagandist. Well, duh. You work for an empire. What do you think you're going to do? Like I, I don't understand how we're supposed to glaze over these things and then you know put the, put the glowy spin on it. And he's like, I don't really like the word spin. Well, no shit you don't like the word spin, because that would, in, in essence, meaning that you are distorting the truth, which is what you guys have been doing. But now since the alternative media is starting to gain more and more credibility because, oh my god, the people that started talking 
crazy kooky stuff about us being over there for just mineral grabs and and it all being a racket to uh, to sell arms to foreign countries and and us running the terrorists and and all these things all this stuff starting to come out and the mainstream media is trying to put little lids on it everywhere but it's not working so they're in panic mode and this is great for us but it's also dangerous for the people that are on the front lines I don't consider myself on the front lines for this war of information, for the war of the mind of the people, the American people, to try to recharge and rejuvenate what we used to have in this country. The self-ownership, the self-responsibility, the self-reliance that we used to share as a culture has now been just completely obliterated. And now it's collectivism. Now it's everybody's turned into Chris Christie and going to the government and asking what they can get from them. What can I get? What can I get? And then Chris Christie has the audacity to sit there and call Rand Paul's um, common sense approach of returning back to the Constitution esoteric rhetoric. Oh, it's very esoteric. If you want to come and look these people in the eye and tell them blah, blah, blah about 9-11, well, yeah, I'd like to come and look those people in the eye and be like, hey, guess what? What you saw that day, you didn't really see. Oh, and by the way, all the first responders, the people that Glenn Beck, ooh, my nine, my nine twelve project, let's rally for the people that helped. Get out of here, Glenn Beck. Get out of here. You found an opportunity to make money, and you're making money, and you're duping people, and now you're supposedly coming to the side of liberty. We both, we all know. That you're just an actor. You can't fool real patriots. You can't fool real people with real beliefs and concrete evidence and concrete – I don't even know what you would call it. It's just, it's just an instinct. And yes, your rhetoric is fantastic, but I don't think you understand true freedom. You can't because then you'd be an anarchist. You'd be like one of us. You would think that this is silly. You think in 2013, this is silly. We're still sending missiles over to kill innocent people? Why? Well, because somebody told somebody that told somebody who told somebody that this guy is a bad guy. That's it. It brass tacks. A human told another human told another human told another human that this guy's bad and we got to get him. And it doesn't matter if we get a whole bunch. Of, of children in the process because this guy is that bad that we can sacrifice. You know, you can't break an omelet, you can't make an omelet without scrambling some eggs. Whatever you want to justify it as the greater good, all of it's coming back to haunt you. And it's all going to start coming out. You start killing journalists like you're doing. You start doing crazy stuff like putting political prisoners under jails and saying that they can't be, you know, oh, we'll bail you out for five grand. Oh, here's the five grand. No, nah, you know what? We're. Yeah, I don't think we can do it, man. I think we're going to have to put him back in jail because he's a danger to society because he dared load a shotgun in Freedom Plaza and show a sign of civil disobedience. And then the judge has the audacity to say this is not a political move when he in, in fact said it was a political move before he did it. This is a political posturing move to show that free men aren't welcome in the District of Criminals, which they aren't. And by that, everybody, I'm referring to Adam Kokesh. Still in jail and will be in jail, evidently, until his trial um, in a couple of weeks. 
So the system is kind of teeter-tottering right now. And you have people that don't really care, and you guys have never counted in history anyway, so good luck to you. And when they start taking 47% of your bank accounts like over in Cyprus and say that I didn't warn you when I warned you over in, I think it was March of last year. You guys can go back and look it up. And I even talked about the way that they were going to implode these countries. And it's not because I'm a rocket scientist, because I listen to people that aren't on the mainstream media that know what the hell they're talking about. And then I go and look at the stuff for myself. It's called double-checking, fact-checking, whatever you call vetting it, whatever you want to call it. And it doesn't make me super smart and like I'm talking down to my audience. It's just that we have to come to a point where we cut through the BS. And right now, that's all you're getting fed from Fox, CNN. That's why they're losing listenership, readership, viewership. Of course, they're going to keep the geriatrics. Anybody over 50 that still believes the military is out there doing great things. But if you talk to anybody that's been in Afghanistan or Iraq, they will tell you the exact opposite. And that's where it becomes frustrating because you have people that are real veterans, people that were really heroes, that thought that they were doing the right thing, that got duped into wars just like everybody else does. And then they can't admit it to themselves because they already have that anchored memory in there that I went because I was doing what's best for my country, which is a very noble thing to do. So that's the paradigm. But the experiences I've been having over the past couple of weeks, but dealing with people that are um, veterans and and um, and just running, I had the most weird experience. I can't even get into it on air. That's how weird it was. I won't even tell friends of mine over the phone what happened to me. But all I got to say is, is that somebody somehow, when I was getting my oil changed, knew that I ran a podcast. And said, we really appreciate what you do. Keep up the good work that you're doing with your show. I didn't give him my business card. I didn't even talk to him about it. Anything. The creepiest moment of my life. And you can, if anybody wants confirmation, you can talk to uh, Jacob Janicki, I guess, if you guys are friends with him on Facebook from the Adam vs. the Man podcast, the guy that I did the Jake vs. Jake with their show. You can talk to him about it or message him about it. I was literally – I hung up the phone with him, called him back, and was like, you will not believe what just happened to me. And I, I told him I couldn't even talk to him about it on air. But when I told him exactly what happened, the, the once-over, it was either one of two things. It was either that was a fed or that was the creepiest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. But so – I'm I'm digressing off of that stuff. But what I do want to tell people out there is that – is that good things are coming. And I know that that sounds really, really sad because every time you hear people, uh, especially in the liberty movement, they get really discouraged. They always think that everything's down and everything's just a, an uphill climb, like we're, like we're trying to climb Mount Everest with six backpacks and, and, and no ice shoes and no sickles or anything. We're just going up and grabbing stuff with our bare hands and just trying to pull ourselves out of this tyranny, which – is a pretty good metaphor, but there's also a lot of really good things happening, and all you have to do is just engage people, and I know I say that a lot, but that's what it is. It's engaging in dialogue. It's engaging in the conversation of liberty and in the conversation of what's going on. Believe me, within 30 seconds of talking to somebody, 
you'll be able to tell if they're and informed and they understand what's going on around the world and around this country or if they are just the I I don't even know what to call them. I guess the um I guess just call them like an entertainment head or something. Because that's what it is. It's just people that have become sycophantically obsessed with um with television and entertainment and all that. And and they just that's their life, which is interesting. Because I would never look at myself and say, well, I mean, now looking back at myself, I would. I was kind of involved in that, and I guess people call it the Matrix or whatever you want to call it. But it's just one of those things that's very – it's very tough for me to see myself getting back into that kind of mode where all I do is watch television and, and watch movies and, and talk about popular culture. I don't think I'll ever go there again. And that's not that there's anything wrong with that, but the people in those mindsets and those mentalities that are more worried about, you know, when when the next when the next you know 5K for cancer is going to be or whatever, those are the people that that you're going to have to reach out to a little bit harder, and and just try to engage them in some way, shape, or form. But I'll just go ahead and tell you this, and I don't mean to sound like Alex Jones because this is true life stuff, and I don't make anything up on the show. I mean, it's pointless. So why would I just get up here and make stuff up? It's just ridiculous. And I'm not trying to promote myself. I mean, good God. I'm not making any money off this. This is just um, what I see as um, a public service to try to give people some perspective or at least give them my perspective. If your perspective jives with mine, then great. But I've run into a lot of former military lately. I've run into – People that have run, flown helicopters, people that have done rescue missions, people that have worked in um, that worked for that work literally for almost the NSA. They worked for a division of the Department of Homeland Security, I think it was in the um, in their cybersecurity division. And these people know what's going on, and they don't like it. But that's their employer, so they can't really say anything. But just all I got to say to you guys is any person that I've talked to in the military knows exactly what the dealio is. So I do have um I do have my friend on the line here uh Trip Pugh from uh Liberty Movement Radio, which I think we're on live right now. So that'd be kind of money. Uh let me see if I can pull him up. Trip, are you there? I am here. Am I coming through? Okay. Yeah, you're coming through great, man. You actually sound like um, kind of robotics, kind of cool. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. It must be just it must be just the the earpiece. But uh, hey, thanks for joining us, man. After that long uh, long monologue, I was just basically trying to set up the show. Wanted to get into the Bradley Manning stuff. Uh, wanted to talk about the uh, Department of Defense coming out and saying that we got to stop lying to the American people because they've they figured this stuff out and they need to hear it from us. And uh, I got a whole bunch of stuff going on. So, what's your take on the Bradley Manning verdict, man? I saw you, you know, posting about that earlier today. Obviously, a victory on one front, but then, of course, as usual, the government double-edged sword comes in at the very end to basically crash our party. Um, we'll have to see tomorrow because, uh, you know, I think it was something like 130 years is mm-hmm. what is ap- applicable here, and mm-hmm. if it's if if they give him any more than what would be considered a life sentence for anything, then, uh, you know, we've got a problem. I think that, uh, you know, through everybody's efforts, the 
aid the enemy charge that was not guilty upon is, uh, you know, more so to try to appease us than it is anything that they would actually have in store for him. So, you know, it's like it, that, that being not guilty on aiding the enemy uh, is is totally indifferent if you're going to serve 130 years. No, I, I agree with you 100%. And then, well, the the one thing that I would say is that if it was like a, um, well, at least it shows to me. I don't know if it's just a like you think it like you think it is just the military basically posturing to appease the people. Or if it's something to the effect of they're slowly developing a conscience about what's going on, but then again, if it's you know if it's in the heyday of the um, of the Bush administration, Bradley Manning's gonzo because all the neocons would have lined up right behind the tribunal or the excuse me the um, the the judge in this case and would have probably told him to give him or told her to give him the hammer and just thrown him away for forever and you know no and no opportunity for parole no nothing well i i'm glad you brought that up because that sparks another thing that i don't even think i've even said you know throughout the course of this whole thing is that uh, you got to look at these individual situations and these individual trials because uh, the reason they're not giving it, uh, giving the the, you know, the talk about it, whether that be <clears throat> mainstream media or anywhere else, is because suppressing the conversation about these things is the name of the game. Mm-hmm. If they can suppress the conversation and not put that on the forefront, even though it's a big deal, you know, I mean, there's issues and stories that. M- people like you and I run across every day that are a big deal, at least within our own circles. You know, sure. they should be a big deal on, on a national level, and they're not. You know, so I, I think we've kind of come into a place with uh, the Bradley Manning thing about suppressing the conversation, not not giving into it anymore. If there's any, if they're like, we're going to hang this guy from the highest, you know, rafter out there. If if they came in with that and we got all these politicians that want to weigh in on it and how horrible it is. Hey, I don't think uh, a, a majority of the politicians want to weigh on, in on it and, mm-hmm. and get their opinions, whether that be in a negative or positive light, but mm-hmm. they don't want to have that national conversation like we've had with Snowden where it was pretty much um, going to get out there regardless. If it's if it's a military or – I'd like to say when we're talking military, it's a controlled narrative. It's easier to control that, that uh, you know, the issue at hand. If, mm-hmm. if it's not, if it's something more like a Snowden, that can get blown wide open by everybody everywhere and affects everybody everywhere uh, directly. Correct. So want to know a little bit more about it, and I, I'm just not seeing it with the uh, Bradley meaning thing. I, I just think that uh, it's it's an easier conversation to suppress if you're the power structure of the mainstream media. No, you're exactly right, and that's what you're seeing. And, and one of the things that I commented on at the beginning of the show was, uh, and it was really funny, my friend just um, my friend just messaged me and said, Evidently, I'm big enough to get blocked by Facebook because he can't share my link to my show anymore. So, 
Yippee. All right, Facebook. I guess I did something bad to you guys, talking bad about the government or something like that. Oh, no. What will I do? It's a sign of I, – I, I like to point this out all the time. Uh, you know, yes, it's a pain in the padded ass, but uh, it, it lets you know that you individually are making a difference or your friend or me or anybody else that's starting to get railroaded like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know <laughs> I always say people get really downtrodden about trolls sometimes. And I'm like, well, you know what? Trolls are a sign of success in my book. You know, uh, when, when people care enough to troll uh, your posts or your, or your shows, then, um, you know, that, that tends to end up happening. And, and it's a, I'm not going to say it's a beautiful thing, but it's definitely a sign that you're making an effort and winning in your own personal individual battle to try to get information like this out there well i mean it like you said it's a it's a i i've said this a couple of times before and it's um you know when i was having a conversation i was talking about this about the military waking up and and if you talk to anybody that's former military they all know that it's a game that it's a you know that it's a sham it's just over there to make money and sell no bid contracts and I met a guy at the gym the other day. I won't give his name out or anything, but I met a guy at the gym, and he works for IT for um, – I think it's for the Air Force. And I was asking him if he was network or data mining. He said a little bit of both, and, I'm, and he looked at me. He's like, so you know about the NSA? And I was like, dude, you have no idea who you're talking to because I was just in there shooting baskets. <laughs> and so he has no idea who he's talking to. I'm like, here, go to my website, and I told him to pull it up. He pulls it up on his smartphone. He goes, oh, okay. So we start having a conversation about, you know, basically everything and then talking about how big of a racket it is and stuff like that. Of course, he's not really contributing a lot to the conversation, more like nodding in agreement and saying, yeah, 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 I understand, I understand. But it's it's a really telltale sign when you have people like that and people in the military that are willing to not really speak out but at least engage in a conversation with us and saying – because he asked me about Brandley Manning. He asked me about Snowden. He asked me about these things, and it's like, look, man – you know, if you have somebody that comes to the forefront and says, hey, we're committing war crimes, and, and then here's what I was trying to get to, is that right before I came on air, I was watching a ABC piece, shocker, um, that had uh, basically just a, a real quick once-over of the Bradley Manning trial. And then it showed the, the image, and I know you've seen it, everybody's seen it where you had the helicopter pilots opening fire on the innocent civilians and laughing. Do you remember that? Do you remember seeing those? Yeah, and the uh, yeah, I remember the whole deal. <laughs> right, and they're like sitting there shooting, and they're like, ha ha, run, 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 whatever. And and ABC is like, yes, they opened fire on civilians. They they um mistakenly. That's what they said. Oh, this he released footage of them mistakenly opening fire on on um innocent civilians. I was like, mistakenly. What the my hell? Son, like, what? my nephew wouldn't do that. There's my grandson wouldn't do that. These are American soldiers, by right. God. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. that that is still the narrative that sticks in a lot of people's minds. We're still the good guys, and there aren't evil people. And that's why I think that's so great that uh, we're involved with a movement that deals with people on an individual basis. Because you know what? Not all military are dickheads, but you know what? You you run into a few in your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Some of them might be military. Some of them might jock a register somewhere, you know. But people mm-hmm. people can be assholes, you know. I mean, that's that's the sad nature of the whole deal. 
and and you're going to run into those people no matter what walk of life you belong or are a part of, um, you know. And and I, I just wish there wasn't so much groupthink in a lot of this, where it's like, uh, yeah, and they don't. A lot of people look at it one dimensionally as well. Sure, one mm-hmm. two dimensionally. I mean, I'm in the three to five dimensions with all this. Not to, and, and you know, we can go back to go. Well, military training, not not just nowadays, but has been for a long time. Depending on what branches that you're a part of, um, mm-hmm. is a, a complete psyop nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is to break you down as an individual and get you to go with the program. I mean, that's sure. What I mean, the, that's what. That's. I mean, they, the the and the Marines started basic training back in the what was it back in the. I think God, I can't even remember when they started doing the basic training brainwashing, but they got that from a couple other all your mind control programs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. They got popping off in the late forties, early fifties. There we that's go. I was, I'm going to say the fifties. Yeah, a lot of these things started to get introduced when we were talking of uh, you know MI6 and MK Ultra and you know uh, experimental drugs uh, in the in the food and water supply with. And, you know, this has been going on for like sixty some odd years now, people. Yeah, and the guy was the guy was amazing. He was like, "So you know about the?" He's like, "So you know about the fluoride in the water?" He goes, "You know the food that we don't eat is food." And, I'm, and that's when I said, "Dude, just go to my website." <laughs> hey, I, we got another caller on the line here. Hold on, let me pull him up here. Yeah, and sure. let's see if they want to weigh in. Caller, you are on the air. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Hey, this is Jacob August, man. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? Since How is you're talking about the military, you might as well have a bet on, right? Oh yeah, absolutely, man. So, um, yeah. hey, did you hear the? Did you hear the first part of the broadcast when I was telling them about the incident that I had at the uh, oil change place? Oh no, but you know, you had you had shared that with me earlier in the week. Uh, that was that was crazy. Dude, that was beyond ridiculous. And Trip, next time I see you in person or when I see you for the first time in person, I'll explain this whole story to you, dude. When I told Jacob about it when I got off the air or when I got off when I got done with my oil change and I talked to him about it, he and I were both kind of in shell shock. And I was like, look, I just either ran into a Fed or that was the craziest thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. Sorry, I so, missed the con- the monologue part of it. Uh, well, basically, I mean, there's nothing much to tell because I don't want to really get into it. But I went to go get an oil change. I, I went to go get an oil change, and I'll just leave it at this. I I'm sitting there talking to the guy as I'm checking out. I give him my business card. I say nothing about me hosting a radio show, nothing. And then I get, and then he's like, "Hey, I want to introduce you to this guy." And so, I mean, the the one guy and I were chatting, you know, briefly about, you know, what's going on in the climate today with the government and everything. He's like, I want to introduce you to John. And I was like, okay. So he goes and introduced me to this guy, John. And then John and I start talking. And then John starts talking banana hammock stuff. I mean, just crazy stuff. Out, I mean, beyond David Icke stuff, okay? That's how deep it got. And it got deep in a hurry. I mean, I went down the rabbit hole with Alice in a just at a light speed level and then at the very end I hadn't even told the guy what I do nothing I'm walking away and he goes here here I'll just give you the the one creepy part that that really freaked me out was at the very end where he read my aura and this is all I'll say to you he's like I'm reading your aura and he told me what my aura was and I was like damn that's pretty spot on you don't even know me and then as I'm getting into my car trip he goes oh and by the way we appreciate everything you do with your show Wow. And I'm like, do what? 
And he goes, oh, yeah, what's the thing about a baby? What's the thing about being a dad? What's the thing about a, a yeah, father yeah. issue? I was like, I'm about to be a dad in December. He goes, oh, that's what it is. And I'm like, I got to go, man. <laughs> like, you just absolutely, you took my brain out, put it in a blender, and then scrambled it and poured it back in. I'm like, I've got to leave. The guy gave me his business card and everything. I'm afraid to call him because he, anyway, don't want to get into it, but. Jake, Jake was talking to me right after it happened, and I probably felt I literally like somebody had just went into my brain and pulled out everything that I could ever think of and then just told it to me right in front of my face. And I was like, oh, that was a creepy shit. So anyway, Jake, talk about the um, talk about Bradley Manning, man, since we got you on. I got Tripp's take on All it. Right. We, both think it's, we both think it's basically – to appease the the general population, we're going to let him go from the from the harsh crime, and now we're just going to hammer him in the back room. All right. Well, first, I want to preface this by stating that I believe that there are legitimate concerns when it comes to endangering, you know, our military people overseas. I, when I was on my command, and I'll just leave that leave that be. But I was on an mm-hmm. amphibious assault ship, and we were on multiple deployments, and. At one point, uh, we had some special forces come on board, and one of the sailors, well, a junior, very junior sailor, like an E2, E3, E1, mm-hmm. who knows, mm-hmm. uh, he decided it would be a great idea to go ahead and email his girlfriend back home and let her know stuff about when our ship was pulling in and that these special uh-huh. people were coming on, and she posted it on some blog. Well, he ended up getting snatched up, and right, rightfully so. I don't know what ended up happening to him, but he got, you know, he got pulled off the boat and he went somewhere. And I was like, you know what? That's that's fine. Like this is this is stuff they teach you right off right off the bat. And you guys kind of referenced it earlier, but it's called OPSEC, and you just you can't let people know when movements of ships are happening and, and stuff. So there's legitimate things, and I don't sure. really think that Bradley Manning was letting that type of information go in, and that's why he didn't receive that charge. I mean, there's just nothing obvious to pin him on, but I want to quote some, I mean, you're saying some members of Senate are staring away from this, but there are making some making some pretty outlandish comments about Bradley Manning. I'm reading one from... Uh, if you CBS say Peter News. King, just go ahead and throw it away. No, 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 no. This is from a CBS News. No, this is these are these are representatives. So Representative Mike Rogers from Michigan, a Republican from Michigan, and then Representative I love this guy's name, Dutch Rupertsberger. Both both are on the uh, House Intelligence Committee. Uh, They released a a joint statement saying that justice has been served today. PFC Manning harmed our national security, violated the public trust, and now stands convicted of multiple serious crimes, and it goes on from there. But I don't, you know, it, you know, they throw in that there's still much more work to be done to reduce the ability of criminals like Bradley Manning and Edward Snowden to harm our national security. It's like, you know what, you guys, you guys harm yourselves here. You, you know, it, he's not no. violating the trust. He's, he's just putting information out there. People, like, like we talk about all the time, right? What, what is information again? It's just data points, right? People, right. people can connect this information however they want. So mm-hmm. if you're really fearful of people getting information out there and being honest, truthfully, I mean, that's, that's what he's doing. I mean, having, having transparency with, with what, you know, our tax dollars are going to our, 
the the income tax that we really don't even aren't even required by any law to pay. But I mean, we do it because it's like the mafia. Are you going to not pay the protective services? No. Um, but but anyway, it's it's. It's just unbelievable that they're, that they're making statements like this. I've, I've been thinking just more on a deep philosophical level of, of whether withholding information is the same as lying or not, and that's a big, it's a big moral or ethical question for someone to tackle, but I try to tackle it from like a Kantian, I try to use the Kantian rule of if, if everyone in the world started doing this right now at this moment and continuously did it, would that be a good thing for humanity? Right. And, How dare and you bring Immanuel Kant into this? No, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm bringing German philosophy into no, this. I'm always going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Germans going to represent with some German philosophers. But anyway, so if everyone did that, then obviously no one would ever learn anything if everyone withheld information. Now, I think, you know, there, again, there may be some circumstances. If someone's pointing a gun at me and saying, where do your parents live? I want to kill them. I'm probably not going to tell them. But... For the most yeah. part, I'm going to let I'm going to let people know information if I feel it's in their best interest. And and what do I have to be shameful or hiding from? Like so. correct. Anyway, that's it's my just the, it's Go no ahead. no no it's it's just the, like you said it's just the data points. Now, Trip, you wanted to weigh in. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I think our assessments all correct. You know, and there's multi. You know, I deal with all of these different issues in every single story, and it's like it's so multifaceted. I have, I have like a, an initial opinion just based on the things that I know personally, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then I just Tarantino everything. I'm, I just work backwards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and yeah. that's just where my mind automatically goes, and I'm like, oh well, this leads to that, which leads to that, which is like a, an entire issue by itself at the end of the day, and it's. It's nerve-wracking, but no, I mean, I I agree. I I really do. You're an enlightened individual, and that's what enlightened individuals do. They don't take one data point and just go, like, oh, McDonald's, and they're like, oh, food. That's what most people will do. It's like, oh, McDonald's, large corporations, not really food. Oh, GMO food. Oh, that's killing us, and who benefits? Oh, and the the, um, debit cards from J.P. Morgan Chase and all these other deals. So you can you can expand from any direction that you want, but if you have this linear thinking, and that's what we're running into, and that's what uh, what Jake was trying to talk about was, and I don't mean to sound like I'm talking to myself in the third person. We're talking to Jake on the other line here, but that's what he's talking about: is having having knowledge is taking one data point and then being able to expand it, like what you said, Trip, being able to expand it. And look at it from a, a couple of different angles, and being able to remove your ego from the situation, and just look at it, you know, statistically or however it may be, or just from an objective point of view, and not have a slant. And and everybody's going to have a slant. Everybody's going to have a vision because their experiences in their pa- in their past are going to dictate how they perceive these events and future events. But I do have one thing to say for actually George Bush has one thing to say for you, Jake. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. Yeah, we need the income tax to fund all these wars, dude. You know this. Come on. I mean, this is just economics 101. We need the income tax. (laughs) It has to be there. No, actually. No. I hate to be but I got to get off. For wars, we need it. Yeah, go ahead, buddy. I got to get off eight eight to ten minutes. Uh, I got to jam. But uh, okay. I wanted to get into uh, a couple more things about uh, what we were talking about off off air. You know the uh, the whole police state deal. Uh, was there anything 
personally that was on your radar? Because I mean, I I got <laughs> I got stories, uh, personal and articles that I've been reading, and mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of different stuff well, he, in between. Here, here's something that I read. Here's something I read yesterday, and I'll I'll, I'll like skip into the juicy parts of it. But uh, this was an article on uh, WorldNet uh, WorldNet Daily, and once again, I don't. You know, I take everything with a grain of salt. Once again, it is a slanted journalistic point of view. It's going to be from a right-wing perspective, but this is this is really you know hitting close to home. And it's called SWAT teams are the new face of police agencies. And I don't know if you guys have heard this or anything, but I'm skipping it along into the article. And it talks about Radley Bilko's um, book or the article, uh, The Rise of the Warrior Cop. But here's what it says: Since the 1960s, in response to a range of Perceived threats, law enforcement agencies across the U.S. and at every level of government have been bur- have blurred the line between police officer and soldier. Uh, driven by martial rhetoric and the availability of military-style equipment such as Band X, M16s, and armored personnel carriers, American police forces have adopted the mindset previously reserved for the battlefield. And it goes on to say, Bilko cites the um, surveys by criminologist Peter Kostka at uh, Eastern Kentucky University, who noted in 1983, just 13% of towns between 25,000 and 50,000 people had a SWAT team. But however, by 2005, get this, the figure was up to 80%, and it gets even better. And said the article also noted that an increased number of SWAT teams has come to correspond with an increased number of military-style raids. In the 1970s, there were just a few hundred raids per year. And by the 1980s, the number of raids have jumped to 3,000. And in 2005, the number of raids – this is in 2005, so heaven forbid what it is now – the number of raids was an astronomical 50,000. So you went from – 3,000 in 1980, and a little over 25 years, 50,000. Great job, New World Order. Great job bringing in the police state. That's how you do it. Me and Robert Wiseman have had this conversation, um, you know, just hanging out in his living room. I mean, this is what we do. When I'm hanging out with him and Matthew, we're just sitting around brainstorming stuff and just getting into conversation. It's great. And being thought criminals, we know. Yeah, I'm just it's great to actually be hanging out in a <laughs> centralized location face to face with people doing that but uh it's uh, we're like i think a lot of us uh especially if you come from the background that i know at least me and robert and matt did um as young heathens <laughs> and running around town and getting into trouble and doing that kind of stuff uh we all c- came to know a lot of the stuff that we know because of the police state now when i moved in my middle school years, when I moved from Atlanta to uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, mm-hmm. I, I, I started to really notice this from an early age that um, we live in a retirement community. My graduating high school class was 86 people. Uh, young people are heavily looked down upon, and they have a much higher police force than any crime that's going on. I mean, uh-huh. needless to say, and that's all crime. We're talking about whether you're talking uh, nonviolent crimes, as you uh-huh. know, drugs or whatever, and and violent crimes were very, very low for the amount of the uh, the number of the police force that we had uh, going uh-huh. on in that community. And it's you start to kind of put the 
pieces of the puzzle together when you start to just notice your surroundings and and start to look into some of these things. You, you start to notice everything's being jackbooted and, uh, you know, the, the power's here. We're here to tell you how it is. It doesn't matter if there's a crime being committed. We're going to act like there's crimes all over town. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. It's sad. It really is. Um, now, Jake, excluding the horrific experience you had, um, you care to make any other comments on the police state? Plenty, plenty. Okay, go plenty ahead, man. About on that. No, you know, no. I, there's, um, there's, I, I would say, of, I would say, fire it. away, but that's kind of that would be kind of ironic at the oh, same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> please don't, please don't. And my hands are up. Don't shoot. Right. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. We'll just muzzle sweep you the whole time. Everything's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's totally cool. You know, because that's that's how we educate people to handle firearms, apparently. Uh, yep. Anyway, so I think I think there's a huge there's a huge correlation between those figures and obviously the war on drugs launched about what 1971, and since then it's you know the U.S. state and federal prison populations increased over 800 percent in just the 40 years. So it, it totally has to do with nonviolent crimes. I think there's also a correlation. Probably uh, in 2005, that was pretty much the height of the housing market boom. So yep. you got to think. Well, there's more houses to raid, um, even though a lot of those were second homes at that time. I'm doing a lot of research just on that on that bubble bursting because it's very fascinating to me, and I'm kind of like a that's kind of like where my interests lie in in, in mm-hmm. economics. So, but but anyway, I, I'm just finding it fascinating. Like 40 percent of the GDP at that at that time was in in the housing market. It was in 2005. So you got to think like, you know, they got to be making their money too somehow, but it's really through this, through this illegitimate and racist drug war. And, mm-hmm. uh, I saw, I saw recently as well, uh, that I, I think I was telling you about this, just a disgusting, uh, a disgusting show on VH1 about the LA riots after Rodney King and they aired it. Oh like, yeah, yeah. You know, this was not too long after the Trayvon thing happening. It's basically glamorizing, glorifying, rioting it's it was just disgusting it was gross yeah look i got no problem if you riot because your government steals money from you and then gives it to foreign banks at the tune of 85,000 or 85 billion dollars a month i got no problem with rioting for people right but i got i got no problem with people rioting for you know cyprus stealing 47 percent of their private bank accounts i got no problem with that but when you riot because the television tells you to riot and get upset you know, give me a break, and I and I and I'm sorry about that because I, I, when I see that, it it really pulls at my heartstrings. Not for the fact that I'm like, look at these dumb efforts. That's not what it is. It's like, look at these misguided people. Look at how misguided these people are, and the fact that you know the Trayvon thing gets everybody stirred up, and it. And and it's it was a no win situation for either person. It was a no win situation for either person. And then people talk about, you know, this is justice for Trayvon. We're gonna do justice for Trayvon. Justice for Trayvon, dude. Have you guys taken a look at what the drug war has done to your culture? Have you guys taken a look at what you know peddling these narcotics and gangster rap has done to your culture? You guys used to have higher legitimacy than than white Americans. You guys used to have a, a really close knit structure and a close knit community, and now you you shoot each other, and then you're mad about Trayvon getting shot. I'm shot. I mean, it's it's very confusing, but also very sad at the same time. I just I want to reach out to the black community and give them a big hug and be like, look, guys. You look, 
we understand. You guys have you guys have been completely repressed. You want to claim them? Yeah, I do. Well, no, because that's a government hug. It's completely different. When the government gives you a hug, it stabs you in the back with a with a knife. When I give you a hug, it's all in love and unity. I'm trying to get these people to understand that the real problem is not the real problem is not having you know not infighting with other one another. The real problem is looking at where is all this stuff coming from? Who's stirring the pot? And it's always like an Al Sharpton or one of those guys. And I just wish that they would understand and, and realize that that those guys, that's how they make their living. You know, you guys yeah. might make your living. You guys might make your living. You know, going and 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 working two jobs, two or three jobs. But Al Sharpton makes him li- his living by getting your ass riled up. So don't give him a living, and then you know the stuff will come crashing down, much like we're seeing here with all the police state stuff. And and that's something that I always look at when we're talking to these issues as well is that you just sit back. Leave your emotions out of it and say, who stands to benefit? Where does the oh, yeah. money go? Where mm-hmm. does, you know, just, just ask yourself these, mm-hmm. you know, uh, objective issues here. You know, just, just sit back and ask yourself these kinds of questions. Because uh, I think that even the most dumbed down of the general public can even realize that uh, people are into bamboozling one another. People are into, um, you know, coming out with them on top, no matter what we're talking If it's me and you having an argument, not necessarily me and you, but mm-hmm. you know, two people having an argument, they want to end up on top if it's just a, you know, conversation. If it's, if it's getting that uh, promotion level, uh, you know, entry job or, what, or whatever it might be, you know, they, they've... All these issues, people should be at least able to think critically enough to to put that forth, to to be able to uh, uh, you know play that off in their own mind's eye. That, that, mm-hmm. that you know, follow the money. Where does the paper trail lead? Who stands to benefit? These are right. easy questions that I think anybody can ask themselves. But um, it, man, I I. I appreciate you having me on, man. I, I'm sorry. I got a jam. but That's uh, all right. Hey, plug your we'll stuff talk- before you go. Yeah, libertymovementradio.com. Uh, I'm on every Wednesday and Sunday starting at 9. I usually hang around for Journalistic Revolution. We got lots of big things coming. I, I got Ben Swan on tomorrow night at 9 on Liberty Movement Radio. And... Uh, uh, ben Vonderheide, who is a father's rights activist, and Caleb Lovett will be riding shotgun, and we just confirmed Antonio Beeler for Sunday night. So, uh, Heck yeah, man. Jam-pack, yeah, jam-packed lineup. So. That's awesome. Well, I'll definitely tune in for the Ben Swan stuff, and for people that I haven't even released this yet, but I'm going to be interviewing Robert Platchhorn tomorrow at 5.30, so you guys be sure to tune in live. Hopefully he'll be able to take some calls with us talking about um, he's a big advocate for medicinal marijuana for the elderly. He developed this um, campaign called the Silver Tour, and he goes around the country trying to educate seniors on the benefits of medicinal cannabis. So one of one of my favorite guys to talk to is just an old school guy that uh, served uh, 30 years in jail for possessing marijuana. So fascinating guy to talk to the of course the you know the people in in costumes ruined his life for 30 years but other than that he is um he's a hardcore liberty activist man he's a great guy so trip thanks for your thanks for the time man and i'll uh i'll be tuning in tomorrow night 
Great, man. I, hey, I appreciate the time. So thanks, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon, man. All right, sounds good, buddy. All right. All right. Looks like it's the Jake and Jake show. So, um, what's uh, what do you got from all that, man? All that conversation we got kind of, you know, broken up there. Yeah, so be it, Jake and Jake. That's fine. Uh, we'll be on the same page probably. Uh, Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, I think I think what I'm getting from it is just I think and trip trip makes a good point there. You follow the paper trail, then you can you can get mad at the right people at least. You know, don't have yeah. this, these misguided frustrations. That, you know, it seems like, you know, they want it to be about race. They want us to be, to make it simplified about race. But, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know I watched, I watched that terrible programming, but I mean, they started off with, with the, with the correct, with, with anger in the right direction towards the police state, mm-hmm. you know, correct. that makes sense. But mm-hmm. it's, the last time I checked, you know, LA police force wasn't all white people. Um, but, but for some reason they're able to sort of, uh, you know, change the dialogue or change change the focus of the anger towards towards race and make it about something that it's that's not even the cause of the issue, you know. I, I don't I don't get it. I just I Well I think that well, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna see that more and more as things start to degrade a little bit. And and I and I once again I started the show on a really upbeat movement because it was really upbeat because we have the ability to turn this stuff around, we have the ability as free in, the, in free, beautiful individuals to come together collectively, not collectivism, don't confuse those two things, as individuals but in a collective in order to, to make change and cite change. And so what we're seeing now, and, and you know, Jacob, you, or I don't, I don't know how much of this you learned from the military, but, but when I was talking about the people in the military know what's going on and know what the game plan is, they see the writing on the wall, and they understand that that what's going on is unsustainable, and that eventually the narrative that we're out there spreading peace with bombing people is going to come crashing down, and it's going to be interesting to see how we rebound from it. But what we have to do is we have to create the safety net for the people that come rushing, or when something happens – with the people are going to be looking for answers, we have to be there front and center to give them the answers and let them know, listen, we were trying to tell you guys this for years, and I know you didn't want to hear it, but now you're ready to listen, so here's what the deal is. Here's what the here's where the problem is. Here's where the money's going. Once again, follow the money, and you're always going to end up into the global corporate combine, which is what I call the United States of America or the United Corporation of America because we are the ones for that are funding. Banking, I mean. Yeah, absolutely. We're the ones funding yeah. these people. We're the ones man- manipulating currencies throughout the world. We're the ones, you know, telling everybody that it's okay. Bernanke's telling everybody that everything's fine, and as long as he prints money until the wheels come off, that we'll never go into another recession and that everything will be okay. But here, let's switch gears a little bit. Now, I want to get your take on this. This is a clip. I don't know if you've heard it yet, but this was at a Department of Defense press um I can't remember the assistant press secretary for the Department of Defense, and they were taking they were fielding questions from the um, the the press office. I don't know what they're called. The people that actually you know write the the briefings and stuff about what's going on on the uh, on the battlefield. What are those people called? The press agents, I guess. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, they. There's she a different asked, rate for that job in each in each uh, branch of the military. So I'm not. Oh, sure. okay. 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 Great. Well, this um, here, I'll I'll just let you listen to the clip, and then I want your take on the backside because 
this is what this is what we're facing, and this is what really kind of it's creeping the establishment out because now they're starting to realize that nobody's buying the propaganda anymore. But they're also trying to figure out how they're going to to sell the American public that we still need to be in all these countries. So here's the clip, and I'll get your take on the backside. I am going to mute you. So. But one or two more. How are you? It's my first time up here. I'm Staff Sergeant Hostetler. I work for Air Force Production. Great. I, my question is that you mentioned that we need to start telling the story about the bad news as well as the good. And the issue that I see that we're facing, I just got back from Afghanistan and the issues that we faced before, you know, the, the big incident that I can think of before I left was when the Air Force pilots talked about the apoxia that they were experiencing. It seems like we have this culture in our career to kind of glaze over these issues and put out this positive press on, no, our jets are fine. And so with the good and the bad, I don't think the American people actually trust us to deliver accurate information. How are we, what's the plan to change that in the way ahead? Because to continue the way we have, to continue to put that positive spin, it feels like we're losing a lot of our audience because they're not listening because we keep saying the same thing over, everything is okay, and it's not. Like, or with the sexual assault issues that we've been experiencing in the Air Force. So how do we change that culture from that PAO up? Because a lot of times, the speaking from my perspective, and I can only speak from my perspective and a junior enlisted perspective, the younger generations get it, that we have to start being honest and forthright. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult to convey those ideas and convince the chain of command to necessarily follow those or to be ready to put that first foot forward before someone else leaks our story. Is there a plan to kind of change the way that we think? Because as it is, a lot of people, from what I can see, are going through with it. We're putting out mindless propaganda is what some of us feel that we're putting out and that what the American people feel that we're putting out. So how do we change this? Thank you for a very good question, and thank you for uh, your recent uh, service uh, in Afghanistan. This is, uh, I think, a point of tension uh, that uh, has long been noted uh, in the public affairs community. What is spin uh, versus what is a legitimate defense of your equities, whether it be an aircraft program or some other mission? My perspective on this is that uh, we should not think in terms of spin. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that word, and it's something I try to avoid. Do I defend the equities of this department? Absolutely. Do I defend our men and women in uniform and our civilians? Absolutely. Uh, do I uh, fight it out on, on test stories? Yes. But the way to get through problems such as the one you just noted, I think, is to acknowledge when we have a problem. <laughs> it's going to get out. <laughs> so let's be straightforward about it. Let's be accurate and let's show a plan for how we're going to get through the problem. Uh, and uh, you mentioned a very good uh, topic and one that has attracted, appropriately so, a lot of media attention recently, and that's the issue of sexual assault uh, in the military. Uh, Secretary Hagel, I think, has done a very good job of acknowledging the fact that we do have an issue inside this department, and he's termed it a cultural issue. And we need to show that, yes, uh, we have this problem, and here's what we're doing about it. Because that's how you get yourself out of a tough spot. In your personal life, you have to acknowledge it first and then take action. And it's the same thing for public affairs professionals. We have one of the highest ratings in terms of uh, institutions in this country, the U.S. military does. Recent public opinion poll, I think, that, and I think I saw some facts coming out of DMA, in fact, that, uh, that supported that. 
And in order to maintain that legitimacy uh, and our credibility, we have to tell it to the American people uh, as straight as we can. Uh, and if we uh, try to avoid the problem, delay it, if we're uh, not up front, uh, then that's going to have a corrosive effect on us as individual public affairs professionals when we're dealing with an individual reporter, but ultimately us as an institution. And I think that's problematic. So I don't think in terms of spin, I certainly don't think in terms of, of uh, propaganda, especially in the public affairs uh, community, I, I think about our obligation, moral and, and legally, to be accurate uh, and, to, uh, and to tell the truth. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that's exactly what you and I were talking about before, was knowing what's going to be damaging and knowing what's going to be, you know, f food for thought. So what, what's your take on that, man? Well, first of all, you have to applaud that junior enlisted, I was it a sergeant, staff sergeant. Mm -hmm. What a question. I mean, awesome question. So poignant, Yeah, and she, so did you true. hear her, like, did you hear her, like, shaking in her voice, like, Holy crap! This could get me in a bunch of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that she didn't have she didn't have any balls, but I'll tell you, she probably had the biggest pair of balls in that room to ask that question. Because oh yeah, that can get you, that can get you in trouble. I mean, you, she's probably not going to ask you more questions. She's not going to get that opportunity to ask questions again, probably. But oh no, that, that <laughs> gentle, just the gentleman over that there. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We're just going to have you make these publications now. You you don't. You, you did a, you're doing too good of a job. You, you really did. That was such a great question that I think I think you're good now. I think you've you've covered that responsibility. Let's put you on something. You need to master something else now. How about you just play videos for everyone uh, while we're on deployments and just manage that for a while. <laughs> uh, anyway, but but the, the the gentleman that answered the question didn't do uh, did a good job of addressing it. But one point uh, where he brings up polls, it just makes me shake my head and think about democracy and that's all they like to point to are polls. Well, if this many percentage of people think we're doing a good job, then we must be doing all right. But I mean, the reality of the situation is, I was I was on a I was at a command where you know we had a couple incidents of sexual harassment or. A gentleman was being uh, touched in the middle of the night in his rack by another gentleman. Both of them, you know, went got, were taken off the command. The one gentleman, I think, was, was able, the one that was molested was able to just sort of leave uh, leave the military and be compensated, I hope, for the mm -hmm. rest of his life because no one should have to be put through that, and he deserves whatever money he gets put towards him to help him deal with that. But, I mean... It's it's when you, it's going to be a sad reality is when you when you're putting people in those tight quarters like that and you have uh, sexually diverse and just a diverse populace and and the military mm -hmm. is the most diverse work populace of any any organization in America because there's I mean some of them aren't even we're talking about some people aren't even American citizens in the U.S. military um, mm -hmm. so it's. It's, it's going to be an issue. I mean, suicide is always going to be a big issue as well, and they haven't been able to address that, and they've known that's an issue for a while, and they've looked terrible in trying to handle that. So they need to be, yeah, they need to be transparent with what they're they're failing at, and they need to say, look, we need help, and 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 ask for help from the private sector. And 
<laughs> I mean, that's what government as a whole needs to do so often. Um, mm-hmm. But they just, you know, they can't do that because no, that does look, deflates their look ego. Look at Detroit as well. I mean, they need so much help, and there's there's so many private individuals that are looking to help that city, and they're just no, nope, they can't give up an inch of power because then they've they've failed. I don't get it. No. Yeah, and then then Obama can go on seven million dollar vacations, and that's completely fine. That's completely acceptable. And I'm not meaning to bash him, but I mean, let's think about this logically. Once again, logic and government very rarely collide in the same sentence. So let's try to think of this logically. Mm-hmm. You're in a country in free fall from a financial standpoint. Unless you listen to the mainstream media and then everything's peaches, you can go buy a house tomorrow and you guys are just set for the rest of your life. But in reality, we're kind of teetering. We have a lot of different things going on with the euro. We have a lot of different things going on with Greece, with Cyprus. And all of those things are going to affect global economies Japan. as you well. Uh, Japan and yes, Japan, Japan also. Japan will probably be the first. The yen will probably be the first one to go into hyperinflation and, and fail. I think what, so too because they're assessment. the ones that are they're the ones that are printing the money the fastest. Am I correct yep. on that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So and yep. then and then you know some areas in Europe, but we got to wait to, for the German elections and then we'll we'll have a better idea because everyone's looking to Germany and Europe to bail them out, which isn't going to happen, but. Essentially, that election will will have a lot to say for what happens in Europe moving forward. But Japan, I think, is, I mean, within the next year or two, I would think they probably their yen's gonna be pretty close to collapsing. Because anyway. if you if you look at long term predictions, most people are most people are giving the American economy anywhere from two and a half to five years. Now, I have hope for humanity that we aren't going to fully collapse. That by by the time all this stuff starts coming to a hedge and all the all the uh, lipstick is worn off the pig, so to speak, then, you know, people are going to start scrambling for new ideas. And once again, you know, real capitalism, not crony capitalism like we have now, is going to take hold and people are going to start doing more. I think that people are going to start doing more with alternative currencies. I don't know if it's necessarily going to be Bitcoin or Litecoin, but I think that there's going to be some new currencies that pop up that the Fed, of course, will go absolutely bonkers about because they can't have any competing currencies because that challenges their legitimacy, just like how the UN Small Arms Treaty says that no civilian can have guns because that challenges the legitimate power monopoly of the state, which I yeah, it was funny. Yeah, go ahead. The number one concern with those alternative currencies like Bitcoin and Litecoin is government's intervention and governments. I mean, those those are the number one investment concerns when you start putting your, your funds into it. That that should be what you're thinking of first is government regulation screwing over this, this whole deal and, and screwing the value of them over. Because by themselves, they, they'll do, I mean, they'll be just fine. And no, absolutely, because it's... And and what you've seen, and at least what I've seen here, let me go ahead and, and check it really quick, but what I've seen over the past couple of weeks, um, of course you've had some dips and stuff like that, and I was um I was on the, the ride. Yeah, see it's right at I just checked Bitcoin right now is at um is at one oh five. And it's been around a hundred dollars for the last month or so. It's dipped down to like seventy, but then went up to about ninety-five and floated at ninety-five for a mile. It's and been I think stable and horizontal the last month or so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you're starting to see stability. And once again, people that that don't understand economics or don't want to understand economics, if you want to crash course in it, go listen to my last podcast. A ton of people didn't listen to it that normally listen to because I guess they saw economics and Keynesian versus you know Austrian economics and either you guys know it all already 
or you don't care about economics. You just want to hear about the police state and, and how we're getting ripped off by the banks and stuff, which I'm plenty well-versed to talk to you about that. But the, the overall arching thing about a currency is the long-term predictability of the currency and the elasticity of the currency. So if you have a currency that's going to be regulated and it's going to stay stable for 30 years because that's what they look at as the 30-year borrowing lens because that's what's going to determine the rates for people to get houses and stuff like that. And you want to have predictability. And if you have something like a Bitcoin that fluctuates at 90 and then goes up to 110 or 115 but then stabilizes – then that's going to be just fine. But if you have something like the Federal Reserve System that goes into its little peaks and valleys everywhere, then it, it doesn't make for a good investment market unless you're one of the people getting the 0% interest, and then you can basically invest it in whatever you want and know that if you're too big to fail that the government can bail you out. So yeah, go ahead and continue with what you were saying about the, the currencies that we're going to be facing. And and why? And explain to the people why Germany is so. Germany is the linchpin to the to the euro, by the way, everybody. And if Germany falls, the euro comes crashing down, and then grab grab onto your butt because we're about to go for a ride. Yeah, I don't think there's really too much more to say about that. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's pretty much all that needs to be said, and it's it's going to be a key election, and and we're just kind of sitting. Everyone, as far as investors are, kind of sitting. To to you know move in that area in, in Europe mm -hmm. uh, whether or not to do that but I mean it's global where you can see I mean in Brazil you have sort of a, a, a similar situation where last just last year they're saying our, our currency is overvalued now it's inflated I mean it's it these central banks create such you know high it's the same thing everywhere you've got high mm -hmm. high debt and and high inflation and and high uh, devaluation of currencies, and, and and everyone's just speculating. Like I say, Japan very quickly, but that's just from my own inference. And and people have been saying since oh, I think Peter Schiff since LA has been saying that mm -hmm. America should be in hyperinflation. And I think there's some there's some un, mis, you know misunderstandings when it comes to when this hyperinflation is going to occur in America. I think that's due to just people not understanding what a credit sort of the credit based system that we're in and being very American you know centered in their focus of right being nationalistic but, yeah 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 and so I, I don't I don't know but but what I do know is that a fiat currency eventually it's it's going to it's not going to work uh, it always goes yeah. it always goes wild doesn't it doesn't it always go wild as to what price or what time that's is nothing but that it's just speculation but my hope is that when that occurs like your hope is that uh, and we're kind of maybe we'll see it in these major cities first as, as their budgets fail like detroit i mean maybe there's there's an opportunity here for you know and and there's uh i was watching Stossel and and there's there he was talking about some uh some libertarians that are looking to buy the island there's an island there that's a park and and maybe there's you know maybe this is these are opportunities to show like in a small localized way that a libertarian kind of setup can be successful and uh and utilized and we don't need governments uh to plan out our uh urban uh developments i don't know no, see, no, see and here, here's the other. Well, here's the other thing that really confuses me. I just, I've never understood this, but I, I'm starting to get it. Where, where libertarianism is becoming, is becoming so popular now, be, that you have rhino Republicans actually responding to the libertarian. They call it a threat. They call it a libertarian threat infiltrating the Republican Party. 
No, it's not that. If you look back to what you and I'm talking to Chris Christie, you know, directly. If you look back mm-hmm. to what your fat ass did back in 1980, we're just advocating, except for you know a couple of things, we're advocating exactly what the Reaganites advocated for. We want lower taxes. We want we want the government out of our way, Localized and we want the free market. Yeah. Say what? Localized government, yeah, government Correct. out of our way. Yeah. Right, exactly. I mean, and right. and then they spin it like. Libertarians are this crazy out of you know out of, yeah we're we're this crazy out of touch with society yeah and then they talk about the it's funny because he talks about you know Rand Paul needs to quit with his esoteric stuff about you know and, and it's like dude what is he talking about he's talking about I I I think the government's too big I don't want the NSA spying on American people I don't want to fund Al Qaeda in Syria and and that's esoteric I mean what. What planet am yeah, I on? Yeah, it becomes really, really comical when you go back in history. I think uh, Kennedy would be called a libertarian at times now if he mm-hmm. were living today. So I think oh, absolutely, because when he tried would, to go, when so, he tried to go on the silver standard, he, you know, when he tried to go with Executive Order one 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 zero, then that's definitely a libertarian thing to do is just stabilize the currency under silver. I mean, what the hell? And then a couple of weeks later, you get tragically killed in a. In a open, oh, which is ridiculous to me. I don't know yeah, why. No, in the hell that, yeah, hey, we're just going to put you don't in a convertible conspiracy. today, throw, sir. Throw on, your, throw on your tinfoil hat there. Don't don't get into the that conspiracy because there's no yeah, way. Yeah, don't Obviously, get into the fact that you know if he tries to take away the power of the central bank and then all of a sudden he ends up dead in a convertible car driving down the middle of a busy clouded street. Nonsense. Oh God, yeah, that wasn't set up. Give me a break. Give me a break. I was born at night, guys, but I wasn't born last night. And I think that I'm going to start making shirts, Jake, and see if you like this one. And I'm going to make a shirt that says conspiracy theorist. And then on the back, I'm going to have it. I'm going to have like a big, like where the box is. And I'm going to have like a check in the box where it says conspiracy theorist. And then on the back, I'm going to have in big letters, you actually believe the media? Question mark. Done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who is the bigger... Who's who's the who's the, who's the free thinker here? Exactly. I guess the conspiracy it should just theorist. be like conspiracy theorist equals free thinker. I actually look at look at multiple. You know, I have more than one uh, source for information. It's like when you write uh, a college paper, you need to have how many. You know, that's the first thing a professor tells you. You need you source this multiply. I used to just get one book and then go. And Unless it's from the government, and then it's then it's like gold. I mean, then you then you just get a gold. That's yeah. <laughs> all right. Gotta do that for my boy Kokash, you know. God, man, I, I'm dude. I'm sending all kinds of love vibes to that guy, and no homo on the end of that. But I'm sending all mm-hmm. kinds of good energy towards that guy because Lord knows he needs it. And with with all the the new events that arose, where it's like, hey, we're gonna post your bail. Oh, you know what? About that bail. Yeah, that's not for you, actually. No, that wasn't for your bail. Sorry, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and move you to another facility now, and you won't be able to come out until. So, is he getting to come out before his arraignment, or does he have to wait until what the seventeenth or something like that, or the fourteenth when he goes back on trial? Yeah, yeah back on trial. <sighs> Yay, government! Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's let's switch gears a little bit and um. I have uh, I have some good clips here for you, but I do want to get into this, and I want to get your take on this. Now, I'm going to play the clip first 
to set up the article that I'm about to read. And ladies and gentlemen, I will try not to vomit when I read this article. But just bear with me because this will this will be rough on me because this was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. So here's the clip. It's less than a minute. So hang on to your britches, everybody. The day we announced that if you think you're going to be a bad actor on Buckley, get ready. You're going to have a short-lived time frame. This is a national pilot program which puts undercover officers on metro buses, sniffing out trouble before it happens. It's kind of akin to air marshals, but for buses. It's a good idea. A lot of bad people riding the buses sometimes. We don't need to be protected. But that safety will apparently come somewhat at the expense of civil liberties. These officers will be able to search bags at random, and canines might be brought in. But you don't like the bag searches? No, not at all. I can't like a lot of food when you call it the next one for my food. The bus program is a collaboration between the Congresswoman, Metro, Precinct 7 Constables, and the TSA. In downtown, Joel Eisenbaum, KPRC, Local 2. Yeah. Okay, so that was the setup, and the person that you heard at the very beginning that was kind of muffled was Sheila Jackson, and she said, if you think that you're going to be a bad person on the bus, get ready, because we're going to have undercover cops and people looking through your bags and stuff with the TSA uh, in collaboration with the local Houston police. And shouts out to my people at Houston Free Thinkers. Uh, Derek, shouts out to you for actually exposing all this stuff and, uh, and, and getting that shut down. So shouts out to you, man. You're doing great work out there. He also covered the the Bradley Manning trial and stuff, but so that was the setup. So this lady wanted to do a pilot program. Jake, you you listening? I am. She wanted she wanted to do a pilot program where, in coordination with the TSA, they were going to have undercover cops looking through bags and searching people before they got on the buses. So here is where the fun begins. I love this. The CBC recommends Sheila Jackson Lee for Homeland Security Post. Just two weeks after Janet Napolitano announced her resignation as the Secretary of Homeland Security, the Congressional Black Caucus has suggested that Rep. Sheila Jackson Lee of Houston fill her spot. The letter dated July 25th from Rep. Monica Fudge, I can't make that up, Ohio Democrat and caucus chairwoman urges President Obama to consider Ms. Jackson Lee for the position, calling the Democrat a voice of reason that the agency could stand to gain and the Houston Chronicle reported. Representative Jackson Lee would serve as an effective DHS security because she understands the importance of increasing border security and maintaining homeland security while taking your civil liberties and bending them over the table and absolutely screwing you with a dildo with no lube. Sorry for the very, very, very graphic sentiment right there, what? people, but this is what this is. I'm almost done with the article, and it says, Miss Jackson Lee currently serves as a ranking member of the Homeland Security Committee on Border and Maritime Security. Oh, the border, as we all know, is just completely safe and nothing ever happens down there. In a position that the caucus says she stands as a strong and honest voice of reason. Like having people go through your effing bags on a bus is a voice of reason. So, all right, man, the floor is yours. Let her have it. I'm, I'm just going to make this really simple, like, Okay, so protecting a border means, like, intruding on everyone's individual property rights and rights and God-given rights inside of our country, 
Is mm-hmm. that how borders? Then, is that, is that yeah. how protecting borders works? Because yeah. and you then know, you bring really bomb sniffing dogs on the bus too. We couldn't, we couldn't get anything through. We couldn't get any sort of border protection or security through, like right after 9/11, when it would make sense. But now, you know, 13. What are we at now? How many years has it been since that? So we're 12 years later, mm-hmm. and we're 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 calling all this shit border protection and. It's so the opposite. It's it's just infringements upon upon uh, constitutional rights. Uh, hey, maybe maybe if we go out in public and start beating the crap out of people and say that we're protecting them, that they'll actually buy it. Because if you buy I'll this crap, I mean, you <laughs> quit punching me. I am protecting you. Stop resisting. Stop you're resisting. So much now. Don't you don't you realize that if you're covered in blood, no one's gonna mess with you. You've already been messed with. This is so great. Oh my god. I mean literally we're turning why don't we just all why don't why don't all the politicians ride up in Shriner cars and then all you guys jump out like a bunch of clowns? Because that's what you're all acting like. I mean, give me a break. Are are we ever gonna get fed up with these goobers up there? I mean, this is just getting out of control. Okay, and, and here's here's just a question and with this mm-hmm. whole bus scenario, don't they don't they have cameras on these buses already? Don't they don't they already like record? I'm assuming don't well, most cities have this? Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't personally, you know, ride on on those types of buses frequently, so I wouldn't know. But isn't isn't there some other way that I mean, come on now, you, you, you're already known. gathering everyone's information. Can't you just put up a camera? Do we really need a physical person going through bags? This is obviously just you know to try to extend the drug war out to. Uh, you know, since you're riding a bus, then I already have probable cause to search you. That's enough. This guy rides a bus. He's obviously a criminal, uh, so I'm going to search everything for your You know what, dude? I mean, come on. They're just trying to keep you safe. I mean, there's a lot of bad people out there. Al-Qaeda could attack us. I mean, after they get done with Syria, they could attack us. So here is um, like the, here's some like other... Like the shoe bomber? Oh, my gosh. Or the yeah, underwear the bomber. Thing. No, the underwear yeah, bomber was the one that got put on the plane by the sharp-dressed man. Yeah, when that got exposed, and then, of course, mainstream media didn't cover that. No, it can't con- cover. You, you gotta, you gotta glance over when when you guys f up and you guys miss something. And I'm sure that, and this is what's so scary to me and so sad is that I'm sure that there's a lot of people in mainstream media that probably try to run with really good stories, but then they probably get shot down from the upper echelon. Now here here's a here's a good one for you and I don't know how this is kind of current and this was uh, leaked out today by um let's see this is the weekly standard and this is part of their blog and it says Obama top ta- top tax rate should be 28% for corporations and 40% for small businesses it says the New York Times reports that President Obama is Revising his old proposal to lower corporate in tax rate from 35% to 28% and 25% for manufacturers. Obama's push towards a lower corporate tax rate of 28% comes less than a year after he raised the individual income tax rate paid for by many small businesses up to 93 or excuse me, might as well be 93, 39.6%. In a speech delivered Tuesday afternoon, Obama did not explain why he thinks this is a sound economic idea to raise the top marginal rate for on small businesses but lower it for corporations. And he says – and here is where – all right, you can't – I might have to put you on mute because 
No, no, yeah. no, no, no. I, I might have to put you on mute because you're going to be laughing when I read this entire paragraph. So everybody, in case you haven't realized, anything Obama says is like a mirror. Take what he says and do the exact opposite because that's what's going to happen. And he says, right now our tax code is riddled with wasteful loopholes and many companies are doing the right thing and investing in America pays 35% while the corporations and the best accountants try to slash – their money abroad and pay little or nothing at all, according to the text of his prepared remarks. I am willing to simplify our tax code in a way that closes the loopholes, ends incentives to ship jobs overseas – wait, you did that – and lowers tax rates for businesses to create jobs right here in America. Uh, neither Obama's speech Tuesday nor his speech in February of 2012 corporate tax reform plan explained in detail which loopholes would be closed. It's just rhetoric. Uh, according to – or during the 12, 2012 presidential campaign, uh, Obama hammered Mitt Romney for saying – for not saying which loopholes he would close and then paid you – know, close to pay – for a proposal reduction of the in, the individual income tax rates, and I completely stammered and stumbled over that very end, but you get the gist of it. So the liar-in-chief has told you that he's closing the loopholes, Jacob. The economy is going to start surging again. Everybody move to Detroit. Everything's fine. Well, I might want to move to Detroit if, if that libertarian buys the uh, that island. I might be very interested in that. I'll get in that uh, society and uh, hopefully – Thrive, but I, so what he's doing is he's 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 high, he's he's making taxes for small businesses higher and corporate corporate entities lower. Is that essentially the gist? Of what That's correct. Here? And remember, sounds everybody, like a very, sounds like a very good liberal uh, democratic move. That uh, yep. you know that that should make a lot of constituents feel very happy. Um, but it's, it's easy. I, I get what they're trying to do. Whenever you lower taxes for corporate and and corporations are a great source for for jobs and and so be it. I mean, the uh, Federal Reserve tries to do the same thing. I mean, with tax breaks, you're trying to create liquidity so that, you know, there's more corporate hiring in this stance. But it doesn't make sense why you would do that at the same time with small businesses because small businesses are pretty much your number one area for growth, especially in middle-income areas. But, I mean, you're trying to create liquidity for for money to go places. But, but what ended up happening, and the same thing that happens when the Fed tries to do it as well, is that these monies – go to these corporations that the corporations can't invest right now because there's so much uncertainty in government regulation and things like Obamacare. So they, what they do is they just sit on cash hoard reserves. It. And that's, if you look it. at every Yay. corporation, that's, that's what they're doing right now. They're sitting on cash reserves, and rightfully so, because they don't know this is the market so uncertain right now. They can't, they can't bank on anything. Or they're placing bets in like some speculative areas, maybe oil, maybe stocks, maybe bonds. But they're, mm-hmm. they're certainly not putting it towards raising their – their expenditures are raising their human capital, and in fact, they're probably directing some of these, some of this liquidity, and some of these funds in the opposite directions in like technologies to eliminate the need for human capital. So mm-hmm. you're you're hurting yourself here, man. You, you you you've got. I mean, number one, I know what that's more likely what corporations are doing. Uh, small businesses probably aren't going to be investing in technologies like that, but corporations are, are at a larger scale, and they're probably trying to find ways to, you know, boost their revenues. And the way you do that is to lower your number one expenditure, which is human resource or human capital. Yeah, so I, I don't necessarily blame them. I mean, we've already you've already created this situation because you allow these monopolies to exist because of your lax, you know, 
uh, regulations that, you know, that goes all the way back to... Um, That's the Bush era, buddy. Know, it, oh, wait, well, well, even before that, I mean, the early 1900s when we are battling with how to handle these corporations. But, oh, yeah, you mean when the Rockefellers but, first set them up and then we're like, oh, well, don't worry, we'll just take them apart once we get done building these bridges and roads. We'll just, right. you know, we'll just go along our own way. Wait, we made a ton of money. Hold on a second. We can't do that. Wait. Yeah. <laughs> and then let's try to get central banking so we can control the, you know, the populace, right? Yeah, because oh, we don't even care about, oh, come we on. Care about money anymore. Yeah. That's all conspiracy. conspiracy. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, that's that, that might earn you one, man. I don't know. You've got you've got two of them. This might be no. This might be the second one right here. This is number two. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories. <laughs> kind of like when the FBI comes out and says, "Don't look at any photos other than these that we're showing you right here." <laughs> I mean, come on, guys! Don't like act like kids? a bunch of kids. Yeah, don't act like a what? bunch of kids. Be like, don't look under the bed. Whatever you do, don't look under the bed. I did not hide the cookies under the bed. I promise. It's like, well, geez. it's like Wizard of Oz, and that's what Wizard of Oz is about. It's about the switch from the gold standard. It's don't look at the guy behind the the, the curtain here making all the calls when really, mm-hmm. you know, they're just. They're scared old men. That's what they are. I mean, hey, here, here's a question, man. I never, I never really got your take on this. Now, I have my idea, but I've never really asked you before, and we've had a couple of conversations. What is your take on the whole global agenda? Do you really think that there is? Now, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, just to be honest, the alter, you know, obviously, power corrupts, and um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So I do believe that there are a small, and just by the books that I've read, like Rothkopf's book, Superclass, I mean, that's that's enough to blow your mind right there. But I do Mm -hmm. think that there's probably about 10,000 people in the world that really do have their hands on the levers and can call a lot of the shots just by knowing how much wealth they have out in the the marketplace. Now, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and um, it's funny that um, did you get – you did get my invite to Alternative Currency Day, correct? Uh, no, go ahead and okay. send it again. All right, I, so I really, really quick, um, on December 23rd, in honor of the signing of the, basically the privatization of the United States when the Federal Reserve... Oh, the Yep. Yeah, you mean uh, over the Christmas break when they decided to push that through while everybody yeah. was uh, it, singing? Yeah, uh, well, everybody was on their families and they yep. had just the minimal amount of people on the floor. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But on the day yep. that it was actually signed, I'm, I've deemed it Alternative Currency Day. And what I want is that people, if you're going to invest in corporate holidays and stuff like that, if you're going to go out and and do the Christmas thing, you know, try mm-hmm. to find a try to find an organization that will that will accept an alternative currency whether it's bitcoin whether it's silver whether it's gold what have yeah. you just don't pay the man and let's see how that works and it was funny because one of the um, one of the whistleblowers from the world bank is actually one of my one of my buddies on facebook and she accepted the invite to go to that so she's supporting it and she understands the the ramifications of what's going on and one yeah. of the one of the things that I heard about on her interviews that was really powerful was um, she said that she and a bunch of guys got together at the World Bank and reverse engineered mm-hmm. through all the corporations and stuff how much money people could control, and she found that it was a very small minority of people controlled about forty percent of the world's wealth. 
And that's yeah. like less than 1% of 1%. So my overall question, all of that build up, and I probably basically set you up to fail here, but do you believe okay. in the in the global conspiracy? Or how uh, to what extent do like you? A global, what can, I think that I think there's definitely people interested. I mean, you already looked at all the central banks and all these nations. I mean, they're trying to, and then and then what? The Bank of London is basically a sister of the Fed, and I mean, they're all connected. So they're trying to create. I think that there is an attempt through carbon currency to try to create a, a global bank. I mean, that's what they're trying. That it seems like that's an aim of a bunch of of these central banks to try to. I mean that's why uh you know we have uh we have the uh, euro and that's why we have the North American trade agreement between us and Mexico it's just it's not covered people don't conceptualize it or think about it deeply like why is this occurring I don't know I just recently watched a long interview with Aaron Russo and the guy made a lot of sense to me I, I, I don't know I'm, Now when you say you are no, go ahead. What, he, was what was with, he was meeting with Rothschild and was good or, um, with uh, Rockefeller, one of the Rockefellers, and was good friends with him. And he was enlightening him, and he kind of, I, I don't know. Yeah, go ahead and ask your question. Maybe I'm no, no, no. I mean, that's what I was trying to get at. Do you believe that that you do have the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers? I mean, I'm through like their foundations, and I know the Ford Foundation is heavy into education and stuff like that. But do you do you believe that they're trying to really graft? Humanity into a new and what what the I, I guess believe that they probably can, think that yeah I believe that they probably think that they're uh, an elite group and that uh, either we're not smart enough to ma- to care for ourselves and they need to care for us so I don't know how they conceptualize it whether it's from a utilitarian standpoint or if they're just purely evil and they they have so much money that uh, what what does it matter I mean when you control the Fed and when you control how much money is being uh, put out into the world, like what else do you have to go for? I mean, when money doesn't matter, what what matters? And I guess it's probably if you're unethical, it's power, you know. Um, and, you know, that's what they're going to try to do is have control everyone's finances somehow. And, uh, you know, this Aaron Russo claims that from his conversation is, is like a chip, you know, and, and you sort of see that trend. I mean, you can't even pay for shit with a – with a check anywhere. My dad's, you know, old and he try I make fun of him for using checks, but uh you know, it's he's probably there's probably a good reason to be using the alternative currencies first. I, and by the way, I think that's a great event and I think that should get like maybe some small businesses involved so that you can obviously you know that was my idea. That day and, oh yeah, mm-hmm. get get talk to talk to some small businesses, some reputable community uh diners or uh, small uh, shops and get them to say, hey, you know, will you accept gold or silver today? Or, yeah, see what, yeah, just see what the interest is. At least. Right, and, right. Uh, and I think that that's, going. I think that the, that's what I tried to do because I just had an epiphany. I was like, you know what, let's, let's try something different. And I'm going to basically like crowdsource it for the most part. And anybody mm-hmm. can do whatever idea that they have in mind for that. But it's just the just the just breaking the chains, no pun intended, obviously, but breaking the chains of of going out and just using the debit card and stuff like that. I mean, just think about how much you know how much we could bring to society if we got 
smaller businesses to accept like even accept bitcoin i mean you can use you can use your smartphone to transfer bitcoin to anyone and so mm-hmm. if they just created a bitcoin wallet and had that in and and had a scanner or something like that where you could do like a transfer on the spot then that would open their eyes to something and of course the fed will go absolutely ape shit because they won't be able to get their you know 29.5% or whatever they decide that it's going to be but i just i just thought that that would be a great idea to at least start the conversation of hey let's try doing other things why do we always use the same thing and why is everything else so demonized and it's like no Everybody's like, no, 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 stay away from gold. You know, gold. You know, just invest in stocks. And then you look at like yeah. the super elite people, and it's like George Soros and all those guys are buying land and gold. I mean, when in doubt, do right. what the rich fat cats do, man. I mean, do what the yeah, insiders that's who do. I'm, that's who I'm reading right now, it's Soros, and uh, uh, he's the one that's telling me about the the bubble. And uh, yeah, he's got some interesting. I mean, just just interesting, just different take on uh, how just the economy as a whole, I mean, than just uh, the pure Keynesian, you know, bullshit that's fed to us all damn day, you know. But. Well, see, that guy that guy gets demonized so much, and I really wonder what, I mean, I know what his background is, and it's super creepy that he actually enjoyed turning people into the Stasi. That's just, that blows <laughs> my mind. But, you know, other than that, I, I, I marvel at the people that have had so much success in the system. It's like, you know, they must have figured out at, you know, 18, 19, what I figured out at 32 years old, you know? If I could mm-hmm. go back in time and transport me into my body at 18, forget it. I would never go to college, number one. I would never do yeah. that. Sure. <laughs> That's a huge waste of money. I got a I got a degree in marketing and a minor in golf course management. But the but the way that I look at it, and yeah, don't laugh. It's an actual degree. It's an actual degree. All right. All right. Cool. So, but uh, but um, I, I got that degree, and then I went and taught golf for a couple of years, and it's just like, you know, yeah. I, I was a glorified cashier, and I was like, you know, this is stupid. And so looking back at it, there's not a lot that I learned in college. I learned so much after I got out and started, you know, basically researching things on my own and finding out what I was interested in, and, and that's where everything started to take off. And once again, more and more data points started to show up and connecting mm-hmm. the data points – and and giving me my perception of my reality now, which is now I understand why all these things are so glitzy and shiny and bright, and it's always to distract you from what the real issues are. And that's why you know that's why Fox News has you know three three blondes lined up in a row when they do their you know their five o'clock, their seven o'clock, and their nine o'clock show. It's all a bunch of blondes, you know, sitting there with pouty lips. Yeah, sitting there with pouty lips telling you something because men, evidently, they did some kind of data mining and found out that men in our demographic, our target demographic, and this just shows you how manipulated you are because I understand how marketing works. It's like our target it's demographic is – yeah, exactly. It's it's 45 <laughs> to 45 to 75, and what do they want? Well, 85% of them prefer blondes, and 5% prefer redheads. It's like, all right, cool. Go with the blondes, and then we'll throw a redhead in every – you know, on the um, – on yeah, sure. the uh, what she's got to sell down. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But you know, trailing away, and we just kind of got off on a tangent. But it's you know things that mm-hmm. you need to discuss with everybody, guys. You need to try to figure out why you think the way you do, and then once you can let go of your restraints of being, you know, 
this type of person that I only watch football or I only do this or I only do that. People with that limited scope, those are the yeah. people that I feel really bad for that are going to get railroaded okay. if some kind of financial thing does happen. What about this dynamic? Why do you stop? Why do you stop wanting to educate yourself after college? Why? I mean, when I start talking to someone like in my field and and they go, well, because I have an Austrian sort of view of economics, they assume I went to one of the schools for Austrians. You know, in in Michigan, there's one, and down in Georgia, right, you have the Mises. And so they no, that's an Auburn, like yeah. I, yeah, they just assume I must have went to one of these universities. I said, no, I just independently have come across this information. Like, why does everyone assume that the quest for knowledge just stops after college? So, well, well, you got your degree. You don't need to. Now I can just be an idiot and just, uh, you know, be a wage slave. I don't and know. Then you can, no, and then you can go around and wave that piece of paper at people and say, look, I have this. And you I mean, can hold up another piece of paper. Yeah, and you can hold up another piece of paper that says I have a or here's my here's my list of of jobs that I work. This is who I am. And you know, if you ever go into an interview and you see somebody like you know writing on your resume and stuff like that, you might as well forget it. You haven't really engaged that person enough to. I mean, I almost want to when I give people my resume, just be like, look, here, you might as well just give me that. I mean, I'm I'm in sales, right? I'm here to get a sales job. The the only thing that I have to do is sell you that I can sell really? stuff. That's it. All I got to do is sell you that I can sell things. And if I can do that, it doesn't matter what it says on that piece of paper. But people get people get um they get uh, complacent, man. I think that's what it is. Is that they feel like that you know once they've run through the rat race of what you're quote unquote supposed to do and what life's quote unquote supposed to be. Once they get through that rat race, they just feel like it's the finish line, and now their rest of their life is just to work and retire. And little do they know that they're getting, you know, percentages stolen every year through inflation. And it's, and it was really funny when I did that show on economics. Yeah, I'm that the economist. No, it's all right, man. the The economist was hilarious because he mm-hmm. says that you know as soon as people find out he's an economist, they come up to him at parties and like, what should I invest in? What should I do? He goes, well. You know, you could get really risky with all your investments, and you might be in inflation by a couple of percentage points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's sad. You have to last. You have to you last. You do. You do. All right. So switching gears, we got a couple of interesting things here to cover. Um, let's talk about um, let's talk about some civil liberty stuff. All right. So here is a, a gentleman in North Carolina, and I pulled this off the web because I just thought this was fantastic and something we can elaborate on. And I know that you you live with open carry Ed, so you're well versed in in seeing firearms all the time. But this is a guy that's in North Carolina that basically walks around with a rifle strapped to his back and does you know trash pickup. And he's got a um, he's also got a Kevlar vest on, but he does it as a you know as a deterrent, as a deterrent. Just like and this is what's so crazy is that people are actually freaked out that that a civilian is. God dang it! I did it again, stupid propaganda, that a citizen is walking around with a firearm. <laughs> you heard me say civilian, like the, the police or the military and all that stupid shit. But um, he's yeah. walking around with a firearm, and the people are getting nervous. But here's what they don't understand is when you used to have beat cops, that's what they would do. You would have a person with a badge on that would walk around the neighborhood and make sure that nobody was steal anything. So here's the clip. It's about two minutes, and then I'll um, – I'll get your take on the backside of of what's going on here, and this is this is a guy just stepping up to the plate, saying, "You know what? Not on my watch. Literally, not on my watch." 
New at 6, an NBC Charlotte exclusive. Charlotte neighbors frightened. A man constantly walking the neighborhood carrying a knife and a rifle. My kids don't even come outside because they're scared. And now, neighborhood nuisance or carrying crime fighter. People in one Charlotte neighborhood are worried that a man who believes he's helping to keep control in the community could actually be a factor in things getting out of control. NBC Charlotte reporter Tony Burbeck is looking out for you from Walnut Creek tonight. It's the view outside people's doors and windows that has Walnut Creek neighbors doing double takes. Yes, that's a guy with a rifle strapped across his back walking down the sidewalk. This is my granddad's gun from World War II. 19-year-old John Schultz also wears a bulletproof vest, carries ammo, and keeps a knife. I have zip ties on as well, just in case. His walks vary day and night. It's mostly for picking up garbage and for exercise. But Schultz also calls himself a harmless verbal nuisance because the walks double as looking out for neighbors. It's nothing to do with the gun or the body armor. It's the person. It's... But there's still the gun and the body armor. Yeah, it just so happens to be there. Schultz says plenty of neighbors thank him. Problem and a concern. Vanessa Adira isn't one of them. The rifle scares her and scares her kids and says it's bad for Walnut Creek. He could oh, yeah. be good without the rifle. I think the rifle is what scares everybody. Scares you? Why do you need a rifle to pick up trash? Get a trash bag. In case somebody breaks into your house, he can shoot says him. he spotted peeping toms and potential burglars in backyards. They saw him and ran away. If I won't, you know, brandish a firearm or anything. You know, I won't chase somebody around. I'll ask them to stop. Let the policemen take care of that. <laughs> Adira fears Schultz could be an incident of vigilante justice just waiting to happen, or someone could target him. He could get hurt. She's oh, not really yeah, willing to talk to me. Hurt. Schultz says if she did, Adira would feel different. I'll wave and smile. And... He's from a military family, hates garbage, loves his neighborhood, and isn't looking for a fight. Adira wishes the rifle-strapped walks would stop, but the answer is no. Tony Burbeck, NBC Charlotte. Terrorism. How dare you, as a slave, walk around with a firearm and try to protect your community? Hey, did you hear, though, Jake? It's okay if the uh, guy in a costume with a shiny badge has a gun, though. Right. Why don't you let the cops do it? So I saw the video. The, kid, the kid's an awkward-looking enough kid. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's why. But how about, how about we just... Why don't you just have a conversation with him? I mean, he obviously that he expressed that in the video, like he wants to have a dialogue with anyone that will have one with him. Mm -hmm. And just why don't you just understand your fear instead of just living it? No, why, because it's why, too, it's too fun to just swallow to just, whole by it. No, it's too fun, and I think that's what it is, man. I think that it's just too fun to get swept up into that guns are the problem and that guns are just going to magically sneak out of your house at night. I always equate it to like Eddie Murphy's The Bad Hair. Did you ever see every Eddie Murphy Raw when he talked about his grandmother talked about he had the bad hair and he always thought that at night that his hair would come off his head and go out and commit crimes and stuff like that because it was the bad <laughs> hair. I mean, seriously, that's what it's yeah, like. It's yeah, like, look, it's the same listen people. Mentality. Yeah, it's the the gun is not the I understand that you're afraid of the gun. I understand that, but the fact of the matter is, is that that gun is not going to shoot you unless it's pointed at you and loaded, and the safety's off, and somebody's. That's why he said I'm not brandishing a gun. And you're right, the guy does look kind of awkward, but at the end of the day, I mean, he's just he knows doing his gun safety. 
He knows his yeah. gun's safe. He's been educated how to use a firearm. He's his, obviously his grandfather's gun. Hopefully, maybe his grandfather, his dad, taught him how to use that gun. It looked like an M14 to me, which is the yep. pretty much was the standard issued rifle in the military prior to the M16 in America. It's you know it's it's, it's a south. It's obviously a capable weapon, but uh, he's a capable individual, and that's where the trust lies. I mean, you can't have feelings towards inanimate things. You just can't do it. you got to stop doing it, people. I don't know what it's going to take to get people to stop doing that. I don't know. You, you say that all the time. It is true. All but, you know, it, it's – and and shame on you and, and shame on the um, shame on the Atlanta media also because the way that they – the way that they present this piece, they always go and find the one person that doesn't like it. I bet everybody else in that neighborhood is completely fine with it. Some people are like, well, oh, there goes the nerd. Yeah, there goes the nerdy. There goes the nerdy kid with the gun picking up trash. You know, whoop de doo. He's a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but as long as he isn't a threat, what's the issue? He's not breaking it. And at the end of the thing, they say he's not breaking any laws, so we can't do anything. No, duh. Second Amendment. <laughs> But see, that's the that's the state that we get into, where they always want to make it. And, I, and shame on you, media. Shame on you guys. And I hammer you guys all the time because you deserve to be hammered. Because this kind of stuff is getting stupid. Where you go out and you try to make a story up out of nothing. I mean, it's like, oh, it's this guy, and then one person in the neighborhood. Maybe it's a couple people. Maybe a couple people. But like Jake said. Get over your fear of inanimate objects. That thing is not going to do anything to you. I guarantee you if I pull a bullet out in front of you and hold it in my hand that you're not going to freak out. But if I pull out a gun that's unloaded with no magazine, it probably – dude, I could probably even take the slide off of a gun and pull it out, and people would freak out. They'd be like, holy hey, crap, you got ordinance, a gun. Ordinance is a more legitimate fear because under a certain duress, under a certain heat, that could actually do damage on its own, but – uh, the rifle, the gun itself is, is, you know, that's what everyone gets all jazzed up about. But there's really nothing to be, you know, fearful about in that scenario. It's, Explain so, to the civilians know. what the ordinance is, please. Uh, ordinance is just anything mm-hmm. that can explode, I guess. If, if I go. wanted to make it as simple as as I could for the layman, I guess I would put it that way. Uh, it's got gunpowder in it, so that yep, that would it be can explode. <laughs> yeah. But you're you're exactly right, and it's these are the types of conversations that we need to have. And once again, Jacob hits on a really great point in the fact that you need to you need to get over the fear of the inanimate object. If you don't like guns after you handle one, that's fine. But I I just don't understand people that have an irrational fear of something that they've never done. Now, one of the things that I would I'm, I'm not going to equate it to this, but I see people skydive, and I know that skydiving can kill me. Will I ever go skydiving? No, because I have a terrible fear of heights, and I don't want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. But that's a completely different scenario from from something like holding an inanimate object that could make a loud noise and and could kill somebody. But it's yeah, it, that, it, it totally doesn't make sense to me because I know people that would never touch a gun in their life, but they have jumped out of planes, and I don't, I wouldn't either. I'm I'm with you. Like, what? Uh, why? I know I understand gravity and how that works, but I mean, like, <laughs> what? What? Do you like, understand 120 it, miles an hour of terminal velocity? Do you understand that? <laughs> no, I don't want to. See, that's, yeah, I don't want to understand that. I think that's a legitimate fear to have, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anyway, I guess, yeah, the way you combat it is with love, and, and in this sense, love is knowledge of, of whatever you're uh, frightened of. So, 
And, and at the end of the day, everybody, we do have to have an understanding of what responsible firearm ownership is and irresponsible. And and here is the overarching theme of a firearm discussion. Politicians will never do the right thing for you revol- revolving around firearms. And there's a reason why, because there is so much... There is so much um what is the right word I'm searching for here? The it's such a galvanizing topic. It it's such a galvanizing topic that they're going to use it as a political tool. So don't ever think that the politicians are gonna do the right thing for you. That's the reason that the founding fathers wrote all those things down on a piece of paper, not because it was them stating that you get these rights. That's them stating that you get this right. When you're born onto this earth, that that should be your right to exist on this planet is that you have the right to defend yourself. And if you want to use it was the key to the republic, the firearm was the key to the republic. Without without that, uh, I mean, well now we have a democracy, but when create a republic, it's supposed to be yeah maybe there's a couple of wolves, but the sheep ha- the sheep has a gun, you know. So we correct keep, we keep the wolves in check. Yeah, that's that's the idea. And that's why you see all of these this rhetoric and of the the gun grabbing it's not because the politicians care about you believe me they don't give as long as you go to the voting booth they don't care about you at all these people and jake's seen it firsthand probably living up in how long did you live up there how long did you live up in virginia in virginia oh you mean just living with someone that open carried or what are you trying to get at? no living with adam and those guys Oh, with Adam, I was, I was only there for like uh, what three, four weeks, something like that, maybe a month. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But you did you guys go out and see enough of that in Washington and see how all of that stuff kind of plays out? And that's a whole completely different world than than what a lot of Americans like to think Washington is. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't even say that I have a good enough understanding to even make an assessment on that. But it it was, it was I'd never lived on the East Coast before. And I wanted to experience it, and uh, I must say that. Uh, Better, better off on the west. <laughs> the west coast is a little <laughs> bit more space and freedom out out this way. So. so, at the end of the day, everybody, once again, inanimate objects aren't the problem. Be sure to educate yourself, and like what we're saying here, continue to educate yourself throughout your life because that's one of the the one of the things that I would say I've found in in my spare time is educating myself. I find so much more passion and so much more abundance in my life just from having knowledge and being able to have conversations about a multitude of different things now one thing that i can say is that my football knowledge has dropped drastically and i'm kind of disappointed in that but you know there is a time to focus in on football and focus in on things like that and and focus in on distractions but unfortunately if if you're focusing in on football and stuff like that in this time of our society Wow, are you missing the big game? And I'm talking about the big yep. game because this is for all the marbles, everybody. If we don't really start to push and push back against tyrannical big government, we're going to be in a bit of a pickle. And a bit of a pickle is an understatement. So uh, we got about five minutes left. Jake, you got any closing comments for us um, going away here? No, I'll just continue on that thought. I mean, I think that's a great way of sort of framing it, and you're becoming a new father. I'm not a father myself, but I'm 29, and hopefully at some point in the near future I'll be doing the same. And what it boils down to is what you do with your life is what you leave to your kids, right? And you got to look at what our parents did and 
and maybe you know maybe they had some gains, some some minuses, but we've got to uh, reflect upon that. And uh, it won't really matter how hard we rooted for the Packers or the Bulldogs or whoever the hell you're rooting for. It's what's going to matter is what kind of impact you put into legislation and put in towards leaving you know towards your kids in, in all facets of life. So. Exactly, and this is, you know, this one of the things, the reason that I say get a friend, get informed, and get involved, because the conversation, it needs to be that. It needs to be a conversation with other humans. You need to engage other humans, and I know I say this at nauseum, but just go out and talk to other people and ask them questions and get them thinking, because let's be honest, the majority of the American population isn't thinking. They're just on autopilot. They're just doing what they do, and they're in a hit, they're in a rut, or they're in some kind of habitual mode where they do the same thing Monday through Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And it's like when I talk to people, they say that, you know, I usually hate Sundays because halfway through Sunday I'm thinking about going to work on Monday. I just I don't have that mentality anymore, and it's not because that I work for myself. It's because I choose not to have that mentality. If you don't look at every moment that you're alive and breathing on this planet as an opportunity to learn something or gain knowledge or at least look at a different perspective, you know, I'm listening to Brzezinski's book not because I believe everything that he says, because I want to get a different perspective, much like what you said, Jake. You're you're reading yeah. um your what what's Soros. his nuts again? Yeah. George yeah, Soros's Soros. book. Just yeah. And it's not that I don't agree we, with everything. It's not about agree, something you agree with uh, wholeheartedly. It's just picking up a perspective and getting those data points and getting knowledge. Exactly, exactly. So we're going to leave you with that, guys. This has been the We Are Not Cattle podcast. Thank you um, so much, Jake, for jumping on board. And once again, that is not me talking in third person. It's actually my friend Jake. <laughs> uh, how do you pronounce your last name? Is it Janicki? Yanicki. Uh, Jacob August makes it simple, so I just go by that. Yanaki? Yeah, Yanaki. Okay, I can say that. As long as I don't say Yanni, yeah. I think we're all right, in good shape. So, oh, that's but, fine. Uh, That'll be a classic. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Be sure to check us out on Thursday night. Also, um, tomorrow at 5.30 in the afternoon, I'll post a link on the Facebook page. I'll also send it out on Twitter. I'll be interviewing Robert Platchorn for about uh, 30 minutes. We're going to be talking about the Silver Tour and his push to try to legalize cannabis as medicine and uh, get it on the docket in some more states. He's had a big effect. Um, he was up here in Washington um, a couple of months ago, and he had a big effect down in Florida. And that's where he kind of mainly focuses to try to get the word out about the, the benefits of using cannabis as opposed yeah. to uh, prescription narcotics. And one of the big studies that they're finding is that people that use cannabis – in conjunction with prescription narcotics as far as painkillers and stuff like that is that they're finding that the people that use cannabis actually need lower and lower dosages of the of extremely harmful opiates that they're giving you. So all good stuff coming out. Once again, thank you to Jacob Yannicky for coming on board with me. Hopefully I didn't butcher that Smoke too anyway, bad. Smoke it anyway, Grandma. Smoke it anyway, Grandma. Absolutely. Smoke it anyway, Grandma. Yeah. But um, once again, get a friend, get informed, and get involved, and uh, I will see you guys tomorrow and then back at the usual time, Thursday night, 9 o'clock. Hopefully you can be there. Share the podcast with people you know and you love. Let's start the conversation. Let's try to change the um, change the dialogue here in America, and maybe we can get our republic back and at least start from there. Take care, everybody. Oh, you deserve it, your-